Dead Rock Thrills and Chills Month. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dad and Rock Podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, we're back at it for another month. It's October. Spooky. Oh, yeah. For the easily scared, this is definitely the month you want to listen to us because we're not going to scare you at all. <laughs> No, we have some uh, very candy corny jokes on the way. Oh, n- not even corny. These are going to be straight up terrible. So when you hear them, you're going to cry. You're welcome. But you got to wait till the end of the show for these. That's right. Hey, what have you been up to this week? Since, I mean, everyone knows we go to the Columbus Zoo a lot this summer, kind of to do as much as we can outside. But we went ahead and got the membership to the Wilds Conservation Area as well, which is a member of the Columbus Zoo. But it's about another hour away from the zoo. So we're talking about a two and a half hour drive for us. And it was an all open air safari. Uh, everything from seeing cheetahs to giraffes to white rhinos, all different types of deer, zebra. It was pretty cool. It was about a two and a half hour safari. Wow. And uh, it was a little chilly, but I mean, for the most part, it was, it was really fun. That sounds amazing. So it was your first time there? Yeah, it was our first time there. It was something different. We knew it was going to be exhausting. We knew the drive out there and the drive back was going to be like, you know quite a bit for one day. The kids are going to be wiped out, but... How often do we get a chance to get this close to like, you know, ostriches pecking at the vehicle we're in and camel walking and just dropping his head in it and just kind of making us wait for him. He actually stood in front of the actual Jeep and didn't move. And we come to find out that the driver of the vehicle can do nothing about it. Oh, wow. He said, we're stuck until the animal moves or he's got to call animal control (laughs) and they'll actually come and do what they can to move the animal off the road themselves. You've been to a lot of zoos. What are some of the animals you like to see best? Uh, I'm a sucker for the big guys. I like the rhinos. Uh, I mean, you're not going to find gorillas here or hippos. Uh, The giraffes, we would have liked to have seen. But since the low dropped below 50, they actually put them in for the season. Ah, okay. So they weren't out this time. It would have been awesome to see them. Uh, But mainly, I mean, yeah, my big thing is the hippos. There's something here called the Talkins. I want to say they, they mainly are over in Asia. Mm-hmm. It'd be a mix between like a goat, but almost like a horse as well. So it's a mix the size of a horse and shaggy. And then it has these like horns on it. And apparently they can swim really well. And I know they were pretty cool to see up close. Oh, nice. It was, it was, it was a great time. Yeah. You and I were talking a little bit before recording here. You mentioned that they have the ability to camp there. Is that something that they do? Oh, dude. Yes. It's uh basically when you're kind of doing the safari, you come up to an area where there's actually still a, a few tents set up at the time but it's like inside this like fenced off area and they give you a fully packed cooler the whole deal and you camp out in the safari so you'll have all the animals walking around you that are in that area while you're in you know your little your little cage uh, while you're camping which is uh once zach heard that his i seen his ears and eyes you know just kind of bug out a little bit it's like hold on yeah i imagine we can sleep outside here and not to mention he was dying to go zip lining while we were there yeah. as well. So it's definitely be a destination we go back to. They have summer camps as well, and it's a week long. And we kind of were thinking about, you know, giving Zach that opportunity and sending him there for a week. Right. And then I'm doing the swimming, the camping, you know, the canoeing and everything else that comes along with all the animals that go on there. So that's something that we've been looking at. He actually said he was already interested in doing it before we went there. Yeah. So uh, there's some trepidation by Janessa just being two and a half hours away from her little boy. Yeah. But uh, I think it's uh, it's something that he wouldn't forget. I remember going to the Salvation Army summer camp and I remember getting on a bus in Millville. Yeah. And driving about two and a half hours into Pennsylvania into the hills. I didn't realize you guys were that far away. Yeah. I mean, it was it was something that I'll never forget. I went there twice and I loved it. So just an experience like that, I think it would be great for him to go ahead and you know have it. 
at least one chance to, you know, to go ahead and do. I used to dread those weeks because those were the weeks that you guys were gone. So it was just poor little, uh, you know, 11 year old me walking up to your door and your stepdad saying, no, sorry, buddy, they're at uh, camp this week. And me dejected <laughs> walking back to my own house with nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah, the the camping idea seems like a kind of I mean it's a very unique and it seems like a great idea. It sounds a little like Jurassic Park to me. <laughs> oh, dude, they got a shirt on with ball. It says Jurassic Park and it's got the full oh, logo funny. on it with a giraffe. <laughs> Yeah, I think you and I would have to do it at some point. Each camping trip, we kind of talk about switching up the venues here and there. So I think that would be a cool one. Yeah, it's, it's a little pricey. It's only one night. So we're looking at for a total price point of like 500 bucks. But the experience, being out there with the animals, doing the open air safari, doing some maybe some other things that we can maybe get into. It, it would be a trip that we wouldn't forget. Yeah. And it would be a trip that there is really no like, oh, man, what do we do now? Yeah. Type thing. Because we, we always kind of have that a little bit. I enjoyed a little bit of relaxed time, but I know the kids kind of get a little anxious and running around. And, yeah. You know, jumping on air mattresses and pillows and getting everything <laughs> dirty. Sounds like it would be a fun time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we got to keep in, in, you know, in the book. If maybe not for next year, maybe something that may be down the road. So I think we have planned right now to stay where we were this past year uh, one more time. And then from there would we'll actually come down to Kentucky for it. Because we've done all our camping trips right now up here in Ohio. Yeah. So we'll kind of flip the script and we'll come down to you guys. Uh, But who knows? I think that's definitely should be something that we think about in the future. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I got back from that trip, you know, no internet, no phone, no nothing. And I look at my email and I got an email from the school. Uh Oh, now I knew this email was coming eventually. And they're saying how they're going to start working on plans to take the kids back to school back in person. I'm a little like eh, about honestly, Skyler is constantly getting letters, something, you know, something's happened at her daycare, someone tested yeah. positive. There's always something there. And if that's happening in that small environment, it's going to happen in the bigger environment in the schools. Right. And it's, I don't know. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about it. It just, I'm just worried about, you know, Zach, his breathing issues. Yeah. Or if we keep him home, he's not going to, his teacher right now would be the same teacher you would go to school with. Yeah. And there's no way she can do online and in person. So they'll change a teacher. His process would all change. Yeah. So would I be doing him a disservice by keeping him home because of all that happening? And he's actually flourishing right now in classes. I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a really thin line I'm walking here with this one. It's yeah, I mean, it's such a tough call right now because it's like I have faith in, you know, the, the systems as far as teachers and principals and actual school staff being responsible enough, especially when it first starts out. But I mean, everybody is guilty of just kind of, you know, resting on your laurels a bit. And after a couple of weeks or two, you kind of get used to. You know, maybe you start slacking a little bit and all it takes is that that one day where, you know, masks were down and I I don't know, it's just it's kind of a political thing now, too. It's like you express your opinion one way or the other. So, you know, I hesitate to do that. But I don't know. I just don't like to see anything where it can perpetuate this virus to keep on going, man. I think everybody's so over it. We just need to do what we can to stomp it out. Get it out of here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I hope I mean, the schools and everything do you know, their due diligence, which I have all faith that they can. It's just yeah, uh, not the kids. It's the parents I'm concerned about. Right. Because the, kid, the, the kids are only going to do what the parents do. And like you yeah. said, they're going to be going back. I'm probably going to send them back because I think it's in the best interest to him and, you know, for school purposes. But uh, to say I'm not concerned about it would be a lie. 
Yeah, I think the best thing that we can do is to uh, try our best as parents to ask the kids questions like, you know, did you wear your mask today? And hopefully the schools can be transparent enough to kind of keep folks and, you know, all the parents up to date each and every day. So that's all we can really ask for. Absolutely. You know, with this scary virus going on right now, uh, we've decided since it's October, <laughs> we are going to go ahead and jump into the scary movies. What do, what do you think? Scary movies, scary virus, they kind of go hand in hand. We're not going to turn into any like flesh-eating zombies or anything, but uh, we have some uh, some pretty good movies to talk about this week. What do you think? Yeah, so we had fun doing our summer blockbuster series back in June of this year, kind of doing uh, reviewing movies Two at a time. You pick one. I pick one. Uh, we decided that might be a fun journey here in October as we uh, go through the spooktacular month. And we started off with Scream from 1996 and The Invisible Man from 2020, the scariest year of all. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one we're talking about this week is The Invisible Man from 2020 from this year. Uh, the description of the movie per IMDb states, when Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. Dun dun dun. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Hence the Invisible Man. Yeah, so you and I, we haven't really talked about um, our feelings towards the movie, so this is a fresh take here. What did you think about this movie? I thought it was two movies. Honestly, I you, you can easily split this movie into two portions. The first half of the movie, and not even time-wise, but there's a first portion of it before she actually goes to prison. It was almost all like suspense. And then after that, it really turns into like an action-type movie. And both being under, I would almost say, still under the horror, scary kind of movie, but two different genres within it. Yeah, I could feel that. Uh, for me, I, I kind of, it's the same way. It was almost like the uh, the first part of the movie was like a ghost story to where you had a lot of those same kind of scares that you might see in like a paranormal activity or something, you know, objects moving on their own, yeah. people thinking that they're going crazy by, you know, objects moving around them or, you know, just the uh, things that are happening. And then the second half of them, it almost became like a the Terminator or like an action movie uh, where, you know, you finally got the confirmation that this guy actually does exist. He did fake his own death. He is wearing an invisible suit. And the rest of the movie is just her taking this guy down. And yeah, and that portion is when I got probably more interested because I think that first half of the movie started to drag a little bit for me. Yeah. And I started getting a little like, okay, what's going on? Like it started like had my heart going. Yeah. Like, my heart was beating. When she's trying to sneak out, we didn't know if she was going to try to poison him. She grabs the bag out of the closet. She jumps the fence. And all of a sudden, she's standing by that road. And she hears something. She jumps in her sister's car. And the dude punches through the window. Yeah. And takes off. But at that point, my heart's racing. So it's already got me invested. Then it basically drops. Right. I mean, the, the, the floor falls out from the movie. And it just slows down so much. The, the beginning, the opening of this movie is really compelling because you kind of follow her journey. I mean, the it opens up with her asleep in bed with him and her ever so carefully and silently removing herself from the bed, removing his arm from around her and kind of going through what seems to be a, you know, a pre-planned set of actions as she's like picking up luggage and getting changed. And you're right, she had some sort of mixture of uh, medication that she put in water. And then uh, as she's like walking through this guy's house, this mansion, I mean, it might as well be like Tony Stark's. It looks like a Marvel villain or something because yeah. she goes through this part of the house that looks like it's like a laboratory where there's like just high tech lighting and and computers all around. And, you know, it just looks like she stepped onto the set of a science fiction film. 
Uh, so it was kind of strange that way, kind of threw you off to where it really kind of sets you in this kind of weird, fantastic setting from the get-go. And then once she does escape, it's just like she's dropped into suburbia and, you know, she's having a tough time going to the mailbox. It's a very <laughs> different kind of shift. Yeah, it puts her at a, a friend's house, uh, this guy, James, and his daughter, Sydney. So she's staying at this house, and I think she's there for almost about two-week period of time before she can even be able to get out to the actual mailbox. Yeah. Because she's so scared that this guy's going to actually find her and take her back. And even her, she's like, apparently she's not even seeing her sister at this point, uh, just just for like safety protocol setup that she has. Yeah, because during the escape, he saw that it was her sister's car that picked her up. So it was kind of a uh, daring escape, and it became one where she hadn't planned it, you know, kind of going that way. And because of that, she was like, can't see me. He knows to follow you, that kind of thing. Yeah, and then she finally comes over and says, dude's dead. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what her like response was to that, but she was, I, you kind of feel like the, the mood lightened a little bit in the movie itself. Right. And then all of a sudden she gets the, you know, the call to go to see the lawyer come to find out it's his brother about a trust that was set up for her. And I think it was like $5 million or whatever you know, the amount was. Uh, and the only stipulation was she couldn't commit a crime. Yeah. Which was really kind of strange. Like, uh, you know, this whole movie, I'm, I'm following it, but it is fantastic. Like the whole movie, it is sort of an allegory of of gaslighting and how like controlling relationships can be like I got that from the jump you know this is less a movie about uh, a universal monster like the invisible man and more a movie about um, this woman's reaction to a very controlling partner and how she finds her way out of it it's almost like a uh, like a fantastical reading of somebody's actual life because there are tons of examples of, of women out there that are in relationships where they just feel as though the man is just kind of keeping them from their friends controlling how they do things, how they eat, how they sleep, just become completely controlling in the way that this guy is. And they're not even, you know, super scientists that create, you know, invisible suits or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this almost kind of takes that and heightens it, which I totally got through the movie. And I appreciated that take as far as kind of making a horror film around that. But that's something I even wrestled with at the end of this movie is like, was this even a horror movie or was this just kind of a suspense movie? I'm going to say a suspense. I don't think it was really hard at all. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. She, I mean, we roll into that second portion of the movie. You know, when she really goes to prison, she meets up with her sister in that, in that restaurant and he makes it look like she just murdered him. Now, flipping the knife into her hand that quick. I mean, that's, I mean, you're, we're defying physics here, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, when she's in prison she's kind of starting to go, they think she's going crazy. Right. And she meets with you know, his brother, the lawyer about the, now the fund again, because now she's committed a crime and now she's no longer has any access to this money. And she actually is able to swipe a pen and bring it back because she knows he's going to show up in the cell with her. And that's when you can start to see him, you know, she stabs him, and all of a sudden you can kind of see the you know, little doohickeys on his suit kind of going crazy <laughs> in the water and from the shower and the whole deal. And that's, and that's when it goes, like you were saying, all, all Terminator. Yeah. He starts walking through the hallway and just starts offing security guards one by one by one. And it, it gets kind of nuts. Now that's when I'm like, sweet, this is okay. Now I'm not back into this. is actually pretty fun. Yeah. It's, it, it's weird in that way. Cause it's like this, this guy seems to have supernatural abilities even beyond a super invisible suit or whatever. Cause it's like, you know, I get that he would have an advantage as far as being invisible. You can't see him, but I mean, when you're fighting somebody hand to hand and you're, you know, part of your suits are kind of flashing into visibility and flashing out. Would he really be able to take down all these armed guards just because he's, you know, eventually they're all just going to start shooting in a certain direction. Yeah. I mean, if you have somebody's, it seems like anytime that he had his hands on anybody, they were completely defenseless. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, but if some 200 pound guy had his arms around me, even though I couldn't see him, I'd still be able to fight. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't, you know, go limp like a noodle and be like, oh, uh, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared I'd die. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as the suspension of belief, I mean, you've already got that in spades with this premise, right? But even beyond that, there are parts that I was even willing to kind of follow it with uh, that kind of logic. Well, yeah, well, even with the, like, the first part of this movie, I was like, I pulled up Rotten Tomato mm-hmm. just to see if at what like ratings I got. I think it was in the 90s. Yeah. I'm like, okay, since, I mean, I was almost, I was almost ready to pull the plug. In the first part of the movie, I was like, you know what? I've been like, dude, I'm sorry. I, I just couldn't make it through this movie. This movie was too much. I couldn't do it. And I was happy I didn't because later in the movie, I enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing uh, from, you know, him slapping that little girl and making it look like she did it. Right. And, and I mean, just little steps like that. I mean, his phone being in the attic. Yeah. Just psychologically messing with her to think that she's going nuts to the point where she goes back to the house. Once she escapes the mental hospital, which is, once again, we're suspending belief here, how easily she got out. Yeah. Went back to the house and took one of the suits and hid it, you know, in one of the the spot where she had her, her kind of getaway bag in. Right. So when she finds out that he is no longer trying to get her, he was going to go ahead and kill the people that were close to her. Yeah. So she sends James to check on Sydney just to make sure she's okay. And she's sitting there. She's, you know, she, she maces the dude. <laughs> so he's, he's already freaking out. Then her dad walks in and really beats him within probably an ounce of his life. I thought the dude was dead. I mean, yeah, just because I mean, the guy's invisible. I'm sure he has some sort of advantage. But this dude, this James character, He's I a mean, big dude, was like six, three muscles out to here. Like, I mean, I don't think it'd be easy to take that guy down if you're invisible or not. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those. I mean, you're going to get hit a couple times and knock you down, but you're not going to know what's going on. I think it's it's that what the hell is happening? Yeah, I think that's what we're, we're supposed to think what we're supposed to kind of buy into when it comes to that scene. Finally, Cecilia shows up and she just unloads. I mean, she just shoots him five, six times and come to find out it wasn't even Adrian. And that mask there, it was actually his brother, Tom. Yeah, his brother, the lawyer from earlier, who uh, I guess they were kind of in cahoots through this whole thing. He kind of went by it, but the meeting about the money and how it was a crime and now she's no longer eligible for the money. He was laying out how she can have it all go away. And at that point, it dawns on the, the viewers like, oh, he knows what's going on. Yeah. He's absolutely in on it. Right. This can all go away if you have his baby and get back with him, which is confirmation for her that he's still alive and she's not crazy. Yeah. She kind of stops being the victim at that point and becomes like the heroine of the story to where she's got confirmation. She starts formulating ways to get back at him as opposed to just being victimized by him. Uh, which, you know, overall, it's a pretty intricate plot, this movie. I did respect it for the story that was trying to tell, the plot, which I thought was fairly, you know, back and forth and intricate. And you really had to kind of pay attention, especially when it comes to characters like, you know, the lawyer that's the brother and sort of these uh, gotcha moments, right? Yeah. So, you know, I did enjoy aspects of the movie, but then there are other parts where just logically I'm thinking like, Okay, well, if you're standing in the kitchen, like, you know, you're in the, you're definitely in the kitchen because you started the fire with that pan of bacon that was going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you're, like, standing in these confined quarters with people, sometimes multiple people, you don't know which direction they're going to walk. I mean, what are you, like, standing in a corner away from things? Are you up against a wall? Eventually, somebody's just going to run into you, like bump into you because they're you're standing where they're going to be walking. <laughs> yeah. And then what? Then the jig is up. So it's like, I don't know. I just, it was tough for me to kind of wrap my head around the actual logistics of an invisible man <laughs> trying to be <laughs> secretive. Now, I wonder how, like, it held to the original. Because I know this was a remake. Oh, yeah. This is nothing like the original Invisible Man movies. Okay. Yeah, see, I knew nothing of those. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same way as you. I mean, I I enjoyed the ending 
for what it was. I seen the ending coming. Oh, yeah. It was so transparent. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she finds her own invisible suit. Basically, he's got a, a spare that's just kind of hanging up in a high-tech closet in his mansion. Kind of like Batman's. Yeah, and she pulls it <laughs> off the mannequin. She stuffs it in a shopping retail bag or something. And then she kind of goes and hides in a closet, and she doesn't come out with it. So she is aware of this extra spare suit around. So basically, at the end of the movie, it turns out that Adrian is found in his basement of this mansion. Basically, the story is that his brother is the one that turned on him, locked him up in the basement, stole the suit, and then terrorized Cecilia. But Cecilia knows better. Uh, He's basically trying to get away with it scot-free. And is trying to play the victim, as he always did in the past, and, you know, be like, oh, can you believe this happened to me? Cecilia, please come back to me. I'm so sorry. That kind of deal. When really, this is just a pass for him to get what he wants again, to get her and to get the child, the baby. Because he didn't care for his brothers at all. There was really no relationship no. between those two. No, he used his brother as the fall guy, which was also kind of weird. It's like, well, so why, if that's the case, if that was their relationship, why the heck was the brother into this from the get-go? Like, did he feel like he was trying to impress the brother? Did he feel like he was forced into it? You never really get a good explanation as far as how financial benefit for him or anything. Yeah, but anyway, so Cecilia sees right through this ploy, right? The the cops don't, and nobody else seems to. So Adrian, he invites Cecilia over for dinner. Uh, she actually accepts, and she's in a beautiful cocktail dress. And internally, he must be thinking, like, well, I've got her. He's, you know, always kind of, like, playing chess. He's, like, three steps ahead of Cecilia at all times. But you can tell when she steps up that she has kind of fulfilled her character arc. Mm-hmm. And The queen was hiding in the closet. Exactly. <laughs> the I mean, chess you, game. you see the end of the movie from a mile away. Like, she's got a plan, and she puts it into effect. Well, even James was like, you had no intentions on doing anything, getting him to confess. Right. It's like she, she and she rearranged the cameras and made sure the cameras were pointing right on him. So it was a, a very open, closed case of suicide. Yeah, she basically, you know, grabs that spare suit, changes into it in the bathroom, does the same thing to him that he did earlier in the movie to her sister at the restaurant, mm-hmm. where he just, you know, takes a butcher knife, slices the throat real quick, and puts it in his own hand to make it look like he did it himself. And then she goes back to the bathroom changes out of the invisible suit and, you know, comes out screaming on camera. Oh, my God, what have you done? You know, that kind of thing to where it looks like she's shocked. She's a victim herself. And she gets away with murder scot-free. So at the end, it's like, you know, I guess she's justified because she's not in this situation anymore. But at the same time, she kind of stooped down to his level, you know, and this guy was a monster. And it's like, I guess the only way to defeat a monster is become a monster yourself. Become a monster, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like you said, the ending was very clear. I knew what was coming. I talked to Janessa. It's like, hey, watch this. We have the invisible woman coming. Uh (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, this movie did really well, like, at the box office. These Blumhouse movies, they make them for pennies. I mean, if you call six million pennies, but they make them for comparatively lower budgets. You know, up against the Star Wars budget. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then they make Buku Bucks for uh, not very large investment. You know, six million turns into 50 million for them. So it's a a big success. But yeah, you got to believe that there's probably a sequel to this on the way, too. Uh, It wouldn't be something I'll be signing up for, honestly. Uh, (laughs) If it wasn't for this month and us doing these shows, I probably wouldn't have watched this one. Yeah. So on to the next. Yeah, I won't be watching that one again. (laughs) As far as us reviewing it, I, I, I think we're on the same page. I probably won't revisit this one.
We're going to give it a sideways. You give it the sideways thumbs, not really the up one or down, just kind of the sideways. Yeah, it's like I see what they were doing and I appreciate it, but at the end of the day, it's not one I'll revisit. Yeah, we're not recommending it, but I don't, I don't know if I'm okay with giving it a thumbs down. Well, like I said, more of a thumb sideways, because to me, it was two yeah. movies. It was two separate movies. Uh, not enough to make two movies out of it, but uh, enough to go ahead and feel like the movie was disjointed. Yeah, disjointed, yep. Okay, well, you know, that one didn't get a very... <laughs> we're not starting off very good. We should have started off with movies we loved. Oh, well, we've got more in the uh, we've got more in the cauldron, man. There's more down the line. Before we move on to our next movie, let's check in on our podcasting pals. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove Podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove Podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. Yeah, this next one, though, uh, this one's going to be fun for us. We have Scream. So what, what was this one about, sir? Scream, the classic from 1996, the one that reinvented the slasher genre, or at least kept it going for, you know, another couple years as it was dying. Um, dying. I get it. Yeah, yeah see, there you go. Scream, 1996, <laughs> a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Oh, no! Not a game! That's a very generic uh, description of this movie. Yeah, the very, very... Now, the opening of this movie, I actually was staring at, you know, watching it, I'm like, is that Drew Barrymore? Oh, yeah. Is that... I mean, I, I couldn't place it. For some reason, she looked like it, but she was so young. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't still... So I actually pulled up my phone, opened it up, said, yep, that's her. I'll be. <laughs> oh, that was her, dude. And I had to, like, do the math in my head. I'm like, well, Drew Barrymore, she was probably around six when she did E.T., and that was 1982. So if this came out in 96, that was 14 years. So 14 plus six, she was right around maybe 20, 21. So yeah, Drew Barrymore was young when she did Scream. Yeah, it was kind of funny on how I wasn't sure. And I actually had to pull my phone up. <laughs> I was like, I, was, I almost felt like ridiculous. It's like, yep, that's her. Uh, like, if I would just ask Janessa, she's like, yeah, that's Drew Marymore. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you were so confident because I wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, this movie starts out with kind of a um, kind of a misdirection because Drew Barrymore was a known name and a star and she was on the poster. So I think the assumption back in the day is that she was going to headline this film. But really, she's just in the opening. She's the opening kill. Well, kind of second kill after her boyfriend, Steve. <laughs> yeah, Steve got gutted by the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, you and I were kids in the 90s. Scream was a huge property, dude. Yeah. You know, what's your favorite scary movie? You know, just that voice over the phone, uh, the ghost face killer, which was not a thing before Scream. I mean, those kind of masks, like generic ghost masks were out there. But this specific one with the black Reaper flowing costume and the hood and that white ghost, that became like a thing. And the ghost face killer became as recognizable as like, you know, Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers. Yeah. Like it was real popular. I'd say it even rivals it still today. I mean, it may not be so much, you know, connected to Scream anymore. Yeah. But just that costume by itself, it has its own identity. But yeah, when we started with Drew Barrymore here getting sliced and diced and her parents finding her, her you know, disemboweled hanging from a tree, could I, I couldn't imagine that would be, I would be, f <laughs> you might as well just killed me too. I mean, I'll, I'll be done. 
No, yeah, that's uh, traumatizing to say the least. I don't know how you carry on after something like that. And it's, you know, it lulls you into a false sense of security with some of the uh, the humor that's played throughout. I mean, Drew Barrymore is kind of uh, has like cute responses to this guy who it seems like maybe it's it's just a guy that's trying to like pick her out for a date over yeah. the phone, you know. Oh, I got the wrong number. Like, hey, you know, would you like to go out sometime? She's kind of like playing along with the tease, right? Until eventually it, it increasingly becomes more and more dramatic. As the, Then he gets aggressive. He gets aggressive. He keeps calling over and over again. He starts yelling at her, cursing at her, then mentions things that he shouldn't know, like she has blonde hair, a boyfriend named Steve. So Drew Barrymore does a really good job at playing that those emotions, that, that wide gamut of being kind of cutesy, flirtatious, sarcastic into just being totally terrified. And after she's stabbed and she's calling out for her parents and she can't scream <laughs> because I guess she's just in shock and b- between the, the wounds and she's like trying her hardest. I've had dreams like this, man, like nightmares where you're trying to like yell out and you just can't like your voice isn't there. there. It's just uh, yeah, it's really the opening of this movie. It sets the perfect tone. Yeah, it goes right from that. Then it goes to the school. Yeah. And to me, okay, so I, I enjoyed this movie. It was hard for me to watch beyond that first scene for a little while. Yeah. Because the more I watched, the more I was like, man, this doesn't hold up. I wasn't feeling like it was as good as I remember. Because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Yeah. And I mean, they're going in. They're also in all these news vans. They're at the school. And they're talking about, you know, Drew Barrymore's character being, you know, being killed, Casey. And you're like, oh, you know, you know, just start, you know, high school rumors start going about and everything. And they, then we learn about how it was, you know, almost a year from uh, Sydney, his mom's actually uh, death or murder. Right. And that's when we kind of we see, you know, Gail Weathers for the first time. Then we see uh, Dewey. So we, we some of these other characters are introduced uh, relatively quickly once they go to the school. Yeah. And I was a fan of this entire franchise. Like you and me, we went to go see Scream 2 uh, in the theater, or at least we tried to. The first attempt failed and they turned us around and sent us back to flubber oh flubber i'll <laughs> never be able to look flubber the right way because you and i had a racket going to where we would buy tickets for a g pg pg 13 movie and then just walk into an r and uh I, we probably even told this story on the podcast before but we went to go see scream 2 we bought tickets for flubber walked into scream 2 and he, he followed us in there immediately there was like no one else in the theater so we were just being stupid kids we got a way of going and see howard stern's private parts <laughs> But we get busted going to see Scream 2. Yeah, that was uh, that was rough. You and I had to, we literally, because we didn't even have cars or anything at the time. Like, our parents dropped us off. We forced ourselves to watch Flubber. Yeah, and the parents, you know, we told the parents, hey, come pick us up in two and a half hours or so. And we were stuck there at the theater. So we had to, like, grit our teeth and sit there and begrudgingly watch Flubber. <laughs> Anyway, oh, we've been watching these movies since then. So when I started to see characters like Deputy Dewey and played by David Arquette and Court- dude, he was so young. Yeah, he was. He was so young. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, you follow these characters through the rest of the film. So I have a bit of nostalgia that's probably giving me warm and fuzzies about this movie, which kind of helps carry it through. I honestly don't know if moviegoers of today, say folks that are younger than us that don't have those same feelings of living through the 90s, if they would have the same kind of affection for it. Well, once we got through that opening portion with the, the high school and everything, 
it started picking up for me. Right. I started, you know, I started kind of getting into that. I don't know if I just had to transport myself back to the 90s to actually, you know, enjoy it. But I mean, when it went from there to the, you know, they called school, they shut it down, they had the party. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole thing. And, th- and then that one kid, uh, the one that enjoyed like telling everybody what the actual rules, uh, Randy. Yeah. Uh, played by Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. He was the one that was telling everyone what the rules of horror movies were. And he was the one that actually had the hots for Sydney. So I know it, it picked up for me. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I I didn't exactly remember exactly how it ended. I remembered pretty close. Yeah. But I was like, okay, let's, let's get this moving. Throughout the movie, her boyfriend, Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich, I mean, he gave me the creeps. He seemed nice enough to her, but any interaction that wasn't with Nev Campbell's Sydney character, he was kind of just a real, like, sleazeball. Yeah. <laughs> Did you give, get any bad vibes for him throughout the movie? I, I mean, I didn't like it. He would have been the dude I didn't like in school. Yeah. Just because he just seemed like a squirmy ass. Right. Uh, I mean, even in the group, I can even tell like within the group of his like friends, it's almost like he was not the one liked. He was yeah. just kind of a part of the group. And we we all we all have had that group where someone was just a part of the group that really you really didn't like. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like he was that dude. <laughs> uh, Nev Campbell's Sydney character was too good for him. And of course, uh, of course she was, because eventually we find out that he was just one half of the ghost face killers in this movie. The other half being... Uh, Shaggy himself, Matthew Lillard. Scoob? (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think about that twist as far as uh, this actually being a uh, tag team? I mean, it it works. Yeah. Because they're they're never in the same room twice, if you look back at it. And it's it's always kind of a twist. Right. Like when you think, you know, Billy is getting killed, they're there. So they can actually play that dynamic. So I, I, if there's one thing I really enjoy, I like that double killer thing. There are even uh, theories that have come out since this movie that those two were actually lovers. And they uh, concocted this plan as some sort of like revenge fantasy. Because it is kind of weird that like Matthew Lillard like really kind of hangs on to Billy. Like they get real close. Like they touch faces and like when they're monologuing to Sydney at the end, they, they kind of act as though they're they're like intimate. <laughs> So I don't know. I, you know, I kind of like that theory, but it just goes to show like, you know, how, how long this movie's been around that there are those kinds of uh, film theories around it. But overall, they kind of, you know, they had this twist. They had this twist end, which they even played off in further installments of uh, the Scream franchise. Uh, I think, you know, Billy mentions how his mother ran off. Uh, a long time ago, and eventually his mother is one of the ghost face killers, <laughs> I think maybe in Scream <laughs> 3. So what do you think? Uh, you know, watching the first Scream uh, this time around for our review, are you going to revisit any other Screams going down the line? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, I just love the idea of like, you know, the, the rules behind, you know, what the movies were. Yeah. Uh, when they were going through and Randy was talking about, OK, you can't get laid in the movie or you're dead. Uh, you can't, you you know, you can't get drunk. You're dead. Uh, you know, the classic, you know, they they. Have at it in the bedroom. You see the woman's top. The guy walks to the you know the fridge. His butt showing. They both wind up dead. Uh, <laughs> type thing. Uh, how how he was like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was like the good girl scream queen, and it took her to a certain year before she had a you know a nude scene in a movie. Yeah. So I mean, just breaking down I and mean, just having a character like that that can actually like break down all these like horror movies. His character was fun to listen to, and like how they all got bummed out at him when he's going through. Then they find out the principal was killed. Fonzie. Yeah, they all take off to the school, and he's sitting there by himself, like on the couch, you know, hugging a pillow like you know a lonely guy would. Yeah, <laughs> and watch these movies. So this movie kind of did meta before meta was a thing. Like you know, as an audience member, you're watching a horror movie, and the characters within the movie are talking about the tropes of horror movies. 
Uh, so it was really kind of, you know, even though Sydney was talking about, oh, how she doesn't like horror movies because the, you know, the girl always runs away screaming and runs away upstairs when she should be going out the front door. And what does she do later as Ghostface is killing her? She runs she up the stairs. Upstairs. So it's kind of one of those things where it's, it was a commentary on the genre while still being sort of a successful installment within that genre. While watching it, we were I was laughing because the first thing that came to mind was one of those Geico commercials. Why don't we just get in the running car? What are you, stupid? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> I just started laughing. When I heard that, I was like, that that commercial came to mind. But uh, what do you think of actually Billy and Stuart being the killers of her mom? Because Gail never believed that uh, the dude that was convicted was the one that did it. Right. Yeah, which, once again, that comes to play in later installments. This this character that Nev Campbell's Sydney kind of pointed out as being the culprit uh, for her mother's death. And he gets put away. Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox's character, kind of fights for him because she believes him to be innocent. And you kind of see him for briefly in uh, some news footage for just like two seconds. And it's actually played by a really famous actor. It's Lee Shriver, who was in tons of movies after Scream. Uh, but he does came, come back in a sequel. So I guess it's a good thing they hired a good actor for two yeah, seconds exactly. of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing I called immediately and I started laughing was Wes Craven's cameo. I missed that. Where was he? Oh, he's dressed up as like Freddy Krueger in the hallway. He's oh, one of the janitors. Oh, my God. See, I thought that was so stupid. The wear, the how he was like wearing the red and green striped sweater, and he had the hat on and everything. I was like, I mean, come on, what yeah, janitor I, looks like that? <laughs> the minute I seen it, I laughed, and then I just kind of checked myself. I was like, Yep, that's his uh, it's his cameo. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when we were talking about Speed during our uh, summer blockbuster series and how '90s Speed was? I I got those same vibes with Scream. Just like, oh, this movie is so 90s with just like the quick cuts and the weird kind of uh, sound effects in between cuts and just how like glossy and like the pop music coming in here and there. And um, well, her best friend with a short skirt kind of bouncing around. Yeah. Getting all the beers for all the guys and just getting caught up in the doggy door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, this is not safe for work, but her chest is going to get through the doggy door. <laughs> I mean, come on. Then you think you're going to get, I mean, yeah, come on. First thing I thought was really, you're going to try to go through that. And then the garage door is not going to stop. Oh yeah. Like what garage door is that powerful that it's going to like sever a human body? (laughs) Yeah. That's an, that's an impressive garage door. (laughs) That was a Tim, the tool man, Taylor's garage door opener. More power. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, like you're saying, everything about it felt like that time frame. Yeah. From the, you know, the, the wide swooping shot coming into the school, uh, even to the end where they're kind of watching it when you're pulling away and you have Gail doing the whole the interview right at the end about, you know, what's going, what's taking place. Yeah. I mean, they, they knew, I think they, they foreseen that movie actually having, you know, success going forward because the way they set it up, like you were saying, I mean, they kept going and we're looking at, I think scream five next year, which would have been released this year if it wasn't for, you know, 2020. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a continuation or it's going to be one of these like rebootquel kind of things, uh, which are popular right now. Oh no, don't do no. I I would I would hate it if they tried to reboot it. Yeah, if they tried doing the same story again with just recasting everybody, I would be less excited for it. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy for that at all. Now, if they kind of went ahead and played it, uh, you know, twenty five years later, right? With like family members and like people like, have you heard of this or? Do you remember when this happened or, you know, something down those lines and someone decided because it's been, you know, the anniversary of that happening 
tried to repeat it, yeah, I, I'd almost buy that more than you know restarting it. Yeah, well, that's the issue with Scream Four uh, because Scream Four is fairly recent. I mean, it's uh, I don't I think it only came out maybe somewhere between five to ten years ago, so it's been out a while. But it, it came out a long time after they'd made Scream Three, and that was kind of the plot where I guess there was like a killer doing something on the anniversary. So ah. if they do a continuing story, uh, I don't know. I don't know where you could go from there, honestly. But Scream also has a fairly successful show. I don't know if it's still on, but it at least it had some success. It was a show on MTV, which is called Scream the Series or something. I honestly don't know if it had anything to do with all, any of these characters. It really just kind of used the Ghostface Killer. Yeah, no, I didn't know that until I was looking to find a place to watch the movie. And I went to <laughs> Netflix, typed in Scream. I was like, oh, sweet. Clicked on it. I'm like, oh, well, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I mean, overall, looking back on it, what was your, like, overall thoughts of it after we watched it this past weekend? Um, I had a much more enjoyable time watching Scream than I did The Invisible Man. I had some high expectations for The Invisible Man because I heard only great things when it was out in the theater. And, honestly, it was kind of one of the last bigger movies to come out in the theater before theaters were shut down. (laughs) Uh, So I was like, oh, man, you know, I don't get to watch new movies that often. But I did. I had... Way more fun watching Scream, revisiting that, because it's, it's been a long time since I've watched it, and it was just fun. Yeah, Scream transported me back to when we were younger. Yeah. Invisible Man did nothing for me besides maybe get my heart racing out, you know, from time to time. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, would, I would watch Scream again. It's one of those ones, too, I feel like once Zach is old enough, I think that's not a bad start for, like, a horror movie for him. Yeah. So it kind of will work you into it. And I mean, you get you get to like these characters. You get to like Dewey and Gale and all them. And you see how their you know relationship starts at the beginning when he's just a, a lovesick puppy. Yeah. And they, they you know, they see their, their actual characters grow and relationship grows throughout the actual series of the movies. They introduce these characters in this movie and they're so likable uh, that by the time Scream 2 did roll around, I remember like really anticipating the continuing story of Deputy Dewey and Gail Weathers and Sydney and even Randy, uh, because I knew yeah. like they were going to college together and I was, you know, hoping that they would survive and, you know, keep a unit. But uh, spoiler alert, Randy ends up dying in the second one. <laughs> oh, no, I, didn't, I don't remember anything about the second one, really. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they were some likable characters that were introduced in these movies and, uh, just a good franchise overall. Though I remember looking back on it, the one gripe I had back in 96 is she broke one of the cardinal horror movie rules. She got laid. (laughs) Yeah. You're supposed to die if that happens. Now, granted, she didn't break the, the nude scene rule. So I guess that's the loophole they were jumping through. Well, this movie was one to call out the rules, but it didn't didn't follow necessarily follow. Uh, all of them. Yeah. It didn't seem beholden to the rules, which I guess is a good thing. You know, some of those rules were pretty antiquated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I think that's uh, what? Two thumbs up by uh, Dan Rock here for Scream. 1996. Let's be clear. Not the series. Yeah. <laughs> 1996. Yeah, we don't know anything about this MTV series. I didn't know MTV was still on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that old, dude. Come on. <laughs> they don't play music on MTV anymore. Oh, I gotta watch VH1. Yeah, I think two thumbs up for Scream. And I th- what did we say? Thumb sideways for Invisible Man. <laughs> yeah, thumb sideways for Invisible Man. Because the first part was bad. The second part was good. So you kind of bring it up in the middle. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to do it for our first installment of October's Thrillers and Chillers here at Dad and Rock. A couple of good movies. I think worth your time. Uh, but we have some good ones down the line, too. 
yeah, set your expectations in the proper spot for these two movies, and you'll be fine. If you come into The Invisible Man with the expectations of thumb sideways, you may walk out with them up. Yeah. But uh, Scream is man, it's nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nostalgia burger for sure. There we go. But what do you think? We jump onto you know that news van. We crash right into a cheesy tree, and we get some dad jokes. What do you think? What the hell is a cheesy tree? <laughs> Can of cheese whiz. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I guess let's do it. Okay. Well, I'm gonna forewarn everybody. I am going for crickets. All month long. I'm going to do some really, <laughs> really bad Halloween dad jokes. And I'm going to start with this one right here. What did Frankenstein say when he woke up from a nap? Uh, what? What did he say? I just had a shocking dream. Whoa. Yikes. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, no judgment here because I don't think mine's going to be any better. Go for it. What was the witch's favorite subject in school? No idea. Spelling. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like uh, spells. Yep, yep. I was thinking something about like brewing and something. Nope. You broke out the spelling. Oh, boy. (laughs) So that's going to do it for us this week. Go ahead and check out dadnarock.com. As always, check out our past episodes, links to our social media pages, including Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And visit our shop at TeePublic. Go buy a Dadnarok mug, t-shirt, throw pillow for your couch. Why the heck not? Well, that's good. I wanted to plug something else for us. We're going to be on another podcast. A podcast uh, by one of our friends from the Basement Surge. He does one called Podcast to Vodcast. And uh, go online, check that out, and see what you think there. Uh, there may be some announcements. There may not be any announcements. We may be boring <laughs> as hell. Who knows? We always uh, like to plug when we're going to be on another show. Yeah, while we're on that show, we're going to be going ahead and talking about a new product of ours called Dadnarok. Dadnarok High Voltage. Uh, if you want to hear anything more about that, what I would say is go ahead and check out the other show, and uh, you'll find out more there. Yeah, more to come. Well, I think that's a good place as ever to go ahead and say this is the Dadnarok Podcast signing off for the evening. Good night, everybody. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Sydney.